How many times people have come to me and they said, I've fallen in love. Well, I asked, you know, how it happened. And so many times I saw her and I knew she was the one. Now, I grant you that sometimes, rarely, this works out a-okay. But normally, those who say lightning struck and I knew and I fell in love, normally, we have some problems there. Because the very word to fall, right? It means usually to fall down. I know you can fall upstairs and you can maybe fall up a cliff. But generally, to fall means you fall down and you're tripped up. You, you, you didn't see what was there and you have fallen. And so when somebody says they have fallen in love, usually, so many times, tragically, that love bottoms out and they fall, in their words, out of love. We're talking about marriage. We've been talking about marriage. We'll talk about singleness. We'll talk about a lot of relationships in the coming weeks as we sort of take 1 Corinthians 7 and just walk through it and take other passages and enhance what God is trying to say to you and me, especially and particularly about marriage. Some of you were here when we recommitted our marriage vows last week. A lot of people got married, incidentally, for the first time last week in that service. You did not know that. Others reaffirmed their vows. And we understand, brand new, that when someone comes and says something like, well, what difference does a little piece of paper make? You ever heard that? Let me tell you the difference it makes. All of a sudden, law is involved. All of a sudden, the Lord is involved. And there is marriage involved. And usually someone who says, well, I'm not going to love you anymore with just a little piece of paper. What they're really saying, I don't trust you with my heart and my emotions as long as I feel like I love you, oh, we're going to stay together. But we've already looked at the word of feeling. Feeling, I, I can't help how I feel. Remember that? And we use that as an excuse for something we do. Feelings are not positive or negative. They're not good or bad, remember? Feelings come as a result of our emotions, our heart. I, I just can't help how I feel. We can't help how we feel, but we certainly can help how we respond to feelings. Free will, thought, reason goes into the response to feeling. Therefore, to give an excuse, well, I can't help how I feel. That's what happens to people who think a piece of paper doesn't make any difference. That's what happens to people who does not understand that marriage is a covenant. Not so much a contract, 
Not so much a legal thing, it is a covenant between that couple and Almighty God. And by the way, do you remember that we say vows only to God? If you got married, you were standing there, a male and female, and the pastor stood up and said, well, you give yourself to one another and you are to stay together, good or bad, for better, for worse, and you repeat after him, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness as in health, do you so promise I do? Who are you saying those vows to? To your mate, to be your, your husband, your wife? No, you're saying those vows to God. Vows are made only to God. That's what makes it a covenant. So therefore, when you make this promise to God, say these vows to God, not to your mate, it's to God. Totally, totally different. And, and therefore, the same thing happens in our conversion experience. Therefore, we see that marriage and a new birth or becoming a Christian are all wonderful metaphors. Marriage is a metaphor for that experience. For example, when you say, I believe that Jesus, Christmas, Word became flesh, dwelt among us. I believe Calvary, he died on the cross for our sins. I believe in resurrection, God raised him from the dead. I believe the basic historical facts about the good news of what God has done for man in Jesus Christ. Do you so believe? And you answer, I do. But you're not a Christian. No, no, no. That's not the Christian experience. To believe the facts and to say I do to those facts, that does not make anybody a Christian. It's when the question comes, do you receive Jesus Christ in your life as your savior to salvage you, to save you, and as your Lord to run your life, then when you say I will, you become a Christian. You see the parallel between the covenant we make with our bride and with the groom in marriage, I do, I will, is a metaphor of the covenant we make with God when we receive him as Jesus Christ. I believe these facts and I will receive him into my life. So we're in the covenant. Bit. Let's look at what a covenant looks like. Look at this little triangle up here. I love it. Marriage is God's gift. Where did marriage come from? God, in the beginning. And when the man and the woman come together and they're married and notice something very, very powerful. When the wife grows closer to Jesus and when the husband goes closer to Jesus, notice that as they are growing closer to Jesus, they're getting closer to each other. See it? Look at it. As they grow as they grow and they meet in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we have a topsy-turvy understanding of salvation and of marriage. We have the idea that we receive Jesus Christ and someday we're going to heaven. We've got that backwards, ladies and gentlemen. Now, when a sperm and an egg come together, bang, there is conception. 
When we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, bang, there is conception. There is a new birth. And we're already in heaven if you've done that. Yeah. I was crucified with Christ. That sounds like death to me. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Therefore, we are already in heaven. We're already in the throne room of God at the right hand of the Lord. We're already there right now. Therefore, getting to heaven is not climbing. I'm working to get to heaven. Oh, no. It is a realized fact today. We're in heaven, and now we're just in this life as Christians discovering, listen carefully, what we've already become, what we already have. Whoa! We're discovering who we are in Christ, what we already have. That's our Christian life. That's the excitement of it. The same way a metaphor in marriage. When do we become one? Two shall become one. We get that in Genesis too, don't we? Leave, cleave, one flesh, naked, no shame, one. We get the same thing from Jesus. In Matthew, he said, two have become one. Let no man put asunder what God has joined together, Matthew. We get the same thing in Ephesians by Paul. Two become one. When does that happen? When you say, I do and I will, bang, you're married right then. You become one. Now, in the process, we have to grow and develop in that oneness, discovering afresh who we really are with this new person that has come into being. Therefore, when a death takes place in marriage, that's divorce. It's suicide. A new life that had been created, when two became one, there's a new creation there. And when that marriage ends in divorce, that is a suicide. And we'll talk about this clearly, biblically, when we start dealing with divorce and healing, etc. Don't get all tangled up. We're just going to deal on biblical truth. So therefore, we see two become one instantly with I do and thy will. And therefore, we have the wonderful privilege of marriage. I've already talked about the only three kinds of marriages. They're bad marriages. They're okay marriages. And they're great marriages. Now, what kind would you like to have? God gives us principles to have great marriage. Are you and I willing to follow his principles and have a, a great marriage or not? That's the question. And by the way, it always works. I've got two personal examples in my own life of what a great marriage is all about, and I can give plenty of proof and validity to it. Do you want to have a great marriage or just hang on, okay? You know, we've been married a while and I just, uh, what kind of marriage do you want? What kind of marriage do you want? We have to understand, marriage consists of two dimensions. First of all, there is a horizontal dimension. 
That's everyday life. That's here and there, everyday life. And for this marriage to grow and grow in more oneness, it's already one in a realization of that oneness and a fulfillment of that oneness, what has to take place? There has to be weeds. You have to weed and you have to plant. Weed and plant, weed and plant, that's always the ministry and the work of marriage. You weed and you plant. We had a garden almost all of my life in our backyard. My dad required that I worked in it. I hated it. I'm not a gardening kind of guy. Some people are. More power to you. But when you have a garden, you have to break up the soil and and you plant and you weed, you weed, you weed. In life, you have to do some weeding. What's some of the weeds we have to pull up? I challenge you that when you get home with your wife, your husband, in a quiet time, and both of you say, look, whatever you say, I'm not going to have the lawyer in me operating. You know, all of us have lawyers in us. In us, there's that prosecuting a lawyer. Let me tell you what's wrong with you, honey. I, there's a prosecutor. In all of us, there's a defense lawyer. We defend ourselves. If you're going to do some effective weeding, get the lawyer out of your life and ask your mate, what could you do or what could you change to be a better husband and a better wife? Now, remember, the lawyer has been taken out of the question. You got to remember that. Don't, oh, I didn't know. No, no, no. Just listen. Just listen. And you'll run into some weeds because your wife, your husband knows more about you and more about me. And really in marriage, if it works at all, there's no place to hide. You know, all, all the phoniness is there. All the pretense is there. Reality is there. That's the way it is. Marriage is a mirror in which you're forced to look at yourself all the time. It can be beneficial and helpful, but you want to do some weeding? Go ask your partner, what would you like to change about me? What, what, where am I not getting it? And you may run into some weeds that have been there for a long time that's keeping that marriage from singing. I like a marriage that sings. A marriage that when you get together, you are thrilled, and when you're apart, you can't wait to get back together again. I had a marriage like that for 58 years. I've got a marriage like that two years now in December. Let me tell you something, folks. This isn't just preacher stuff. This is reality. So we got to do some weeding. Some have more weeding to do than others. And if your mate doesn't tell you about those weeds, spend a little time with God and listen to him, and he'll tell you some things you need to pull up and kill and root out of your life. You say, it's too late. No, it's not. Are you still breathing? Everybody breathing? No, anybody stop breathing? Oh, we're all breathing. It's not too late. God works. God heals. So in marriage, you got to always be weeding. And you got to always be planting. You can't just clear out a space. You got to plant, plant, plant. 
And on that plant, you have a little tripod there. What do you plant? I thought about SAT scores. What is your SAT score in marriage, husband and wife? The S, I think, would stand for sensitivity. Are you sensitive to your marriage partner? Are you sensitive, tuned in, alert? Are you sensitive? That's the S. Are you attentive? Hello? Are you attentive to him? Attentive to her. If you're sensitive, the follow-through is being attentive. And then are you trustworthy? Are you a man or a woman that can be trusted? All times, all places. See, that's the tripod upon which planning must be there. Well, I'm just not like that. I'm not geared like, yes, you are. God works miracles when we're born again. He works miracles when we die and, and we graduate finally to that which we already have. And he'll work a miracle in your marriage if a lot of people would wake up, look up. Marriages that are successful, exciting, creative in everything you can imagine. They're marriage where there is weeding and where there is planting. You weed and you plant and you weed and you plant and you wake up one day and said, I am amazed what God is doing in my life. So marriage is horizontal, but marriage also is vertical. It's vertical. Let me say something. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. If you do not pray with your wife, your husband, that is as serious if you decide not to sleep with your wife or your husband. Did you hear what I said? If you do not pray with your wife or your husband, that is at least as serious as if you decide, I'm not going to sleep with my wife or my husband. Then why is that? Because a little bit of prayer with God and listening to God together, if you've been a jerk, if you've been greedy, if you've hold grudges, if you've brought back some old problem that happened way back ago, listen, you can't really pray. Remember when, when you, you, you get naked and you're not ashamed? We get, when we pray, we get naked before God. If you don't, he knows anyway. So when you pray together, exciting things happen. Wonderful things happen. All the phoniness, all the masks go away when you really go to the Lord God and say, Lord, I've got this and that and the other. Man, it is magnificent. So there's horizontal. We weed and we plant. We weed and we plant. And there's vertical. That's when we go to him and we pray. And in the process, what begins to happen to men and women in marriage, they begin to unconditionally love each other. As God unconditionally, God loves every one of us, regardless of anything we've done or will do or have done. His love is permanent. It does not change. It does not vary. He just, in every situation, loves us. 
we get to that point where they're made. We just, we just love them because we're honest with God and honest with one another. And there's weeding and there's planning and there's praying together and wonderful things happen. And we realize we're going up that triangle. We're becoming more and more literally one. We are one, but we're discovering what that oneness is all about and how magnificent it is. Paul says, Ephesians 5, that nobody hates a part of their body. You don't hate your body. The second great commandment, love the Lord thy God, all thy heart, soul, mind, body. Love your neighbor. Who's your closest neighbor? It's your mate. It's your spouse. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Paul says, nobody hates themselves. And therefore, we're to love them because they're a part of us. We are one. I ran into a word that I did not know a couple of weeks ago, emulsion, emulsion. I didn't know the meaning of that word. Now be careful. How many know the meaning of that word? Would you lift your hand and hold it there? If you know what, I didn't know, maybe you do. Lift your hand, hold it there. You know what emulsion means. Little timid hand, wait, oh wait. If you know what emulsion means, lift your hand. Now, a lot of the wives know that. It's sort of a cooking word. I have discovered that. Emulsion is a beautiful word. Emulsion, well, I'll give you an illustration. If you have oil and you have vinegar and you mix them together and you shake them hard enough, there is, a, there is emulsion there but what happens when the shaking stops? They, they begin, begins to separate again, doesn't it? You see, oil primarily is fat, doesn't have any taste. Uh, vinegar is an acidity type solution and it has a strong, sharp taste. But you mix them together, you have oil and vinegar, and man, that's a pretty good thing. Emulsion takes place, but if coal comes, immediately they divide. If hot comes, just almost immediately they divide. What a beautiful picture of marriage, of oneness. We come together, there's emulsion, but let some conflict come, a little heat come. We begin to step away. Let some coldness come. Whoa, we begin to divide. So what keeps emulsion there. We know there, these are molecules that are opposite ends of the pole, and what is it that takes those molecules? What are, what are the hands that are used to bring emulsion together so that the oil and vinegar stay together? Because you go to the grocery store, and there's oil and vinegar, and it's not divided. Well, what happened? Why is that different? We mix oil and vinegar. What's happened? Emulsion. And what, why is that oil and vinegar staying together? It's because there is a stabilizer is added. Ah, added stabilizer. And that stabilizer, it, it just brings those different molecules from different pole, polar opposites together like a man and a woman and brings them together and that stabilizer keeps them as one.
if you don't know, you'll never guess what that stabilizer normally is. In marriage, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that takes these two polar opposite, male and female, and brings them together and his principles and that vertical relationship, that horizontal relationship, that oneness is sealed together by God and Jesus Christ, and we seek to live together according to his principles, where there's plenty of forgiveness, there's plenty of lovingness, there's plenty of opportunity to really celebrate the sacred gift of marriage. The stabilizer is Jesus. What is a stabilizer with oil and vinegar? Honey, <laughs> honey. Is that terrific? Remember I told you, your marriage can just stay there and you never have a bad marriage. You never have a marriage that's, you know, okay, sometimes good, sometimes bad. We're just hanging on. Or you can have a marriage that is a perpetual honey moon. Jesus Christ keeps that oneness, that emulsion there. And marriage, therefore, in a human sense, is the most fulfilling, meaningful, exciting gift that God has given to humanity.